I'm late. And I hate waiting. I don't know if any of you are with me on that. Does anybody hate waiting? No, you guys are, man, you guys are a lot more patient than me. Maybe I shouldn't be admitting this kind of stuff, but whether it's a traffic light or sitting at the doctor's office or fast food, whatever it is, I just don't enjoy the waiting uh, process. Some things are worth waiting for. Vacation, vacation is worth waiting for. Um, Maybe homemade ice cream, that's worth waiting for. But very few and far between are there things worth waiting for. And I think the thing that makes me most annoyed are times when you have to wait unnecessarily. And maybe this is just, has driving gotten, gotten worse? Okay, all right. I, I think, I don't know if it's, it's that or if it's just because I've gotten older and so I'm a little bit more cantankerous than I used to be, but it seems to me like this thing has started to happen more and more. Have you noticed that people tend to hang out and cruise in the left-hand lane more than they used to? Anybody, anybody picked up on that? Okay, all right. If you say, <laughs> if you say no, you might be part of the problem. Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The left-hand lane is a passing lane. I don't know if you knew that or not, or remember that, but it's a passing lane. And one of the things that you notice a lot of times with, uh, with slowdowns and traffic slowdowns, you get up there and you realize there are people just kind of cruising in the left-hand lane that shouldn't be there, that maybe are going the speed limit, if that. And it causes everybody to wait. So maybe for you it's traffic, maybe it's fast food, maybe being on hold on the phone, or maybe waiting for the elevator or maybe waiting for your phone to charge, whatever it is that offends your sensibilities. All of us get anxious about or dislike waiting on something. There's a story that is shared with the study of the psychology of waiting in line uh, that is regularly shared, and it's about in the 1950s, there's a high-rise building that had an elevator, and people were putting in complaints to the management because they were having to wait so long to get on the elevator and to go to their floor. And so they were trying to figure out what to do with that, what solution uh, to have for people. And one of the people on staff, because the engineers looked at the building, there's no way they could speed up the process or anything like that. And somebody on staff said, well, what if we put floor-to-ceiling length mirrors around the elevator, and that way people can look at themselves and look at other people on the sly. And so they did that, and all the complaints went down to zero. It's a very interesting study of how waiting affects us. That, that it, maybe it's not so much the waiting that impacts us, but that we somehow get bored along the way and feel like, man, I could be using this time somehow to be more productive, to speed on the interstate, or whatever it might be. We get bored while we're waiting. Some very unscientific estimates uh, suggest that we spend about two years of our life waiting in line. Imagine what you could do. I mean, that doesn't even count like being, a whole, being on hold on the phone. Imagine what you could do with two whole years invested in something other than just waiting in a line. Well, here's the deal. We're starting this brand new series called Acts when God sparks the movement, when God sparks a movement, like Neil mentioned. And all of this begins, this movement that God starts, that we're still a part of here today as part of the church, all starts with waiting, with nothing happening. Or maybe that would be our perspective. The book of Acts gives us really, a really important insight on how God sets up the church and how it grew and how it began. And it gives us a picture of how we should be a part of the movement still. And what we're going to be doing as we look through the books of, book of Acts is we're going to be looking at one word 
a week as we go through that will help you. It's a 28-chapter book. We're not going to be looking at every single chapter in that, but we're going to give you one word a week that will help you understand the outline and the picture of what Luke is trying to share with us throughout the book of Acts, and today's word is wait. Now, Acts is actually a fast, pretty fast-paced history book. It's full of intrigue. It's full of I mean, if it was going to be a TV series, this was one that would kind of have you hooked. It starts a few weeks before the beginning of the first church service ever and spans for several decades as the church is established and as missionary journeys are taken part and the church grows from a small gathering of Jesus followers and goes through following several key leaders as they travel around the world. There are world politics, conflict with leaders, there's murders and theft and scandal, there are court scenes, there's a shipwreck. There's stories of strong men and women who come into the limelight and play a major role in changing the world. We see tender personal stories, and we see major global impact of the height of the Roman Empire and how the church impact, impacted and changed the world. Real-life stories of struggle and triumph, and most of all, how God unleashes his plan for hope for the entire world. It's in Acts chapter 1 that we find out a little bit about why it's written in the first place and who gives it to us. It's written by a physician who turned into kind of like a research journalist and historian. His name is Luke. And it's actually volume 2 of a two-part history. You may be familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels that are about Jesus' life. Well, Luke wrote the one that's called Luke. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it becomes very clear what Acts is meant to do. Luke says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Theophilus means friend of God. So Luke might be writing to a very personal friend or he may be expecting this to be shared among many people. In uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 1, he says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And so you start to see a very important detail of why Luke is writing and what he is trying to get across. Is hey, I've very carefully researched all of these things that people have been talking about, the experiences that they've been sharing when it comes to Jesus and his life and his ministry and his death and resurrection. And I want to share with you exactly what happened and what was going on and why this has become such a significant thing in our lives. We're going to be talking to eyewitnesses. We're going to have details about the places and the people and the quotes and the things that they said and they did for the church and the movement that Jesus starts to expand across the globe. Luke's first volume kind of leaves us off at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. It's kind of a cliffhanger. He stops with Jesus ascending back into heaven. Acts shares the rest of the story. And so here's what Luke says in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So he starts off and he says, look, Jesus, and, and later on Paul tells in 1 Corinthians, Jesus appears to over 500 people out, a, after his resurrection. 
And so there are people, this is not just two people, this is not just three people, this is not just 12 apostles that have been impacted by this and are sharing the story. There are 500 people who've experienced the risen Christ. And so, listen, these are the people that I've gone and talked to. These are the people that I've gotten eyewitnesses accounts from to say, hey, what has your experience about Jesus been like? And let me share that with my friend, Theophilus, and let me share that with the rest of the world about what is going on. The church rapidly grew into the thousands at this point as Luke is writing and sharing, here's Here's what happened. Jesus had done some incredible things in the world. People had seen him do miracles, heal people, cast out demons, raise people from the dead, cure diseases. They'd heard him talk about a kingdom that he was there to establish where people could be reconnected and reconciled to God's love. He spoke of forgiveness and righteousness and peace. He'd been the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy for the nation of Israel, and everything had come to a head. He died, and then he was alive again. And now it was time for something to happen. And it is this excitement and this setting that Luke starts Acts chapter 1. But here's what Jesus says in verses 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything. I know you're excited, and now, now finally is the time for things to happen. But here's what I want you to do first. I want you to wait. You remember what life was like before Netflix at all? Um, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? Commercials interrupting you. Do you ever, you remember when TV shows started to use those three horrible, atrocious words at the end of their show mid-season, and the screen would go black and these, these three horrible words would show up, to be continued. That was, oh, the cliffhanger. Yes, exactly. That is the visceral experience, right? Is oh, this is, I love the show. I want to see more. What's going on with that? Netflix, man, they even, have, they even have a skip intro button now. Have you seen that? If you're watching a show and you're, I mean, it's, it's great. You don't even have to watch the opening, you know, intro title sequence anymore. It's, it's amazing. You can just binge watch an entire season, or maybe, you know, none of us want to admit that we do that. But it's amazing. We don't have to wait on commercials, any of that kind of stuff. But Jesus, in one of the most pivotal moments, he's resurrected. He's, here are his final instructions. He starts off with, wait. Wait for what? Here's the thing I think we miss with the pace of life that we tend to lead and, and the boredom that we allow to control how we wait in life. Because what Jesus does, he says, is, this, this wait is a lot more active than what it might seem, is that Jesus says to wait for the gift that the Father has promised. Is that, yeah, Jesus has done amazing things. We talked about this just a couple seconds ago. All these miracles and all these things that he's done in people's lives. But, but it's about to get exponentially better because of what God is sending these Christ followers. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, God's greatest gift that he has ever given us. The indwelling gift of his presence in our life. Um, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit more next week, but a couple of things that I, that I just want to take note of, uh, because the Holy Spirit is, it can be a very interesting uh, topic when it comes to Christianity. Um, 
First of all, there's this. There's only one God, all right? The Bible is very clear about that. Jesus was very clear about that. But he is more powerful and he is more able than we could ever fathom. And so as Christians have read the Bible over the centuries, in order to explain God's nature and his character and his person, one of the concepts that have been brought forth to talk about this and explain it is the Trinity. And so we talk about God as being one in three persons. Now, it's, it's very deep, it's a mystery, and it's a paradox, and you're not going to read your Bible and see the word Trinity in it, but what we do see taught clearly in Scripture is that God is one, and he is existent in three. God the Father, God as he is all the time, Jesus the Son, both fully God and fully human, who's preparing a place for us, and the Holy Spirit, God's spiritual presence interacting with the spirit of each Christian. Now note, the Holy Spirit is always talked about as a person. He's not a power, and he's not the force. He's a co-equal person of the Godhead who indwells us. But, but more on, I'm getting ahead of myself, so more on that next week. You'll have to wait. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, this gift that God gives, moves in and around all of us with the full power of God to help us, guide us, lead us, comfort us, and teach us. And that was the gift that Jesus told the apostles, the disciples, to wait for. And, and here's the thing. God has plans for your life and for my life that are so much bigger than anything that we could come up with and accomplish on our own and as individuals. So much more of his plan and his design encompasses much more than whatever happens in this room or in your life and that was even true about the disciples, but they didn't understand what all that meant. They said in verse 6, they gathered around him and said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they, didn't st they still didn't understand what they were actually waiting for. This is not some earthly thing that's going to happen in our life, whatever that job is or whatever that thing we're waiting for, that information. It's not anything about that. And that's what holds us back the most in life is that we get so caught up in waiting for the next thing that we want to have happen, is that we miss what God is doing. What holds us back in our life the most is our willingness to wait on God. Jesus, it's, it's time for the earthly stuff. It's time for the stuff that I've been waiting for, that I want to have happen so much in my life. Like, when is that going to happen? And that was the response of the disciples to him saying, wait for the Holy Spirit. And I think Jesus, kind of with a little bit of a chuckle, kind of like a, yeah, your question doesn't even make sense based on what we've been talking about, but I understand that you don't get it yet still, even though I'm resurrected and I've been teaching you and showing you. And then he says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And with that, he's done. He's done talking. The amazing adventure that Jesus had taken his followers on, this journey of faith, was more than what they could have ever imagined. Most of the people that are standing there had been with Jesus from the first, from the very beginning when he started publicly teaching. They were there when he preached to the 5,000 on the side of the big hill. They'd eaten the bread and the fish that he'd miraculously multiplied. They touched the skin of the leper who'd been healed. They saw the blind who were gained sight. They were there when he was crucified. They were there when they wept with each other when they thought it was all over. They were there when Jesus shows up in this locked room, when he rose from the dead. 
restoring every bit of faith they had in the power of God to change the world. And now they see what they think is a blank screen and the words to be continued. They're standing there, I imagine slack-jawed, looking into the sky, when in verse 11 an angel shows up and says, hey, we still stand around for Jesus gave you some instructions. Go back to Jerusalem and, and wait for the Holy Spirit and what he's going to be doing. And I think what's important for us to understand is in this life, as we are waiting for Jesus to come back, that God has something very specific for us to experience as a body of believers. And there are a couple things I think we need to understand in order to experience that. The first thing is that waiting on God is not passive. So often we think, oh, man, we've got to fill our time with something. It's like, ah, I know we're waiting on God. We want him to do this thing. Maybe, maybe we should help him along, and, and that would be kind of helpful. Well, waiting on God is not passive. And so what the apostles did is they went back to Jerusalem, and if you read through the rest of Acts chapter 1, what they're doing is they're praying, they're reading Scripture, and they're doing what Scripture says. Our wait for God is not passive at all. It's very active. And there are things that God very clearly shows for us to, to be doing as we're waiting on him, whatever that thing is that you're longing for, that he calls us to live a life in the midst of the waiting. Waiting on God enables us to accomplish his will for our lives. Jesus says, you are going to be my witnesses throughout the rest of the world. And that's one of the mysteries of, of God and how he entrusts us with the message of the gospel of God's grace and mercy and love, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to let you guys share this. Jesus could have stayed, I mean, he could have stayed throughout all eternity, stayed on earth and being, sharing the message, and we could say, hey, uh, you know, listen to that guy, and yet he gives that to us. Well, he lets us accomplish that by us waiting on him to be the focus of everything that's in our life, not everything else that buys for our attention. See, some of you have been waiting to graduate forever, Right? High school, finally, it's, it's arrived, and it's great. And you guys maybe remember that time. And then you're waiting for college to start or your job to start. And then you're waiting to graduate college. And then you're waiting for the next job. And then you're waiting for the next promotion. And then you're waiting for your first apartment, your first car. Maybe you're waiting for your first house. Maybe you're waiting for your first kid. Maybe you're waiting for the vacation home. Maybe you're waiting for retirement. I mean, we can wait a lot in fact, much of our life is defined by what we do while we're waiting for the next thing to happen and to show up in our life. And in the midst of all that, God is promising and already has given and promised to us as Christ followers his Holy Spirit, his indwelling presence to be moving in and around our lives, to be sharing who he is, the gospel with those around us. And that might be the most important thing to understand as Christ followers is that while we're waiting, God is moving. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, maybe the disciples were getting around as they were reading scripture and Jesus told them to wait. Maybe they're reminded of some scriptures like this. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Or maybe they think back to Psalm chapter 40. And I'm just going to read the first three verses for you. But maybe they're thinking about Psalm 40 where David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise 
to our God, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. See, I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know what you've been praying for. I don't know what you've been looking for God to do in your life. But what I want you to know is that as you're waiting on him, he's moving in your life. And as we're waiting on his presence to come and to be there, like one of the things that, that maybe you need to be encouraged by and remember is that it's already here. As a Christian, God doesn't need to be invited into this place with us. As a Christ follower in your home or in your business or with your kids, like whatever's going on in your life, God doesn't need to be invited in there. We've just got to take a moment and pause and recognize, oh, that's right. You're already here. You're already here with me. And so while we've been waiting and maybe being distracted by other things that are happening in our life, God's already been showing up. And so he simply asks us to, hey, just take a moment and recognize that I'm here and, and look for me and how I'm moving in your life and how I'm empowering you to do what I've called you to be and live out my will for your life. So Christian, my encouragement to you is don't get caught up in the boring and the Monday or the flash in the pan life experiences that so often call out to us and say, oh man, this is finally the moment that we've, we've arrived because you know what we're waiting for ultimately is, is that Jesus is coming back that he's been preparing a place for us. And, man, that, that, that is life-altering. The way we spend our time waiting is life-changing, not just for us, but for the people who are around us because it changes our perspective and what we use our time for and with. And maybe... Maybe you're, you're not a Christian. Maybe that's not a, a thing. Maybe you've kind of been waiting. All right, all right God, I, I need you to kind of show up and, and show yourself in, in my life. And, and what I would encourage you to do is to, um, is to put yourself in places where God is. Like maybe this is your first time coming to church or being here. Maybe you need to keep showing up to see how God is trying to show up in your life. Because as much as we might be waiting on him, he is already moving in your life. He's already pursuing you. And he wants to share the joy of resurrection and the reconciliation.